3: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: I'm a feminist, but this week I hosted the Stylist Remarkable Women Awards. And it was. And I was so excited because I got to meet amazing women who were either giving out awards or receiving them, including Annie Lennox... Ooh. I know who got the Icon award. She was absolutely amazing. She came and talked about global feminism. She was absolutely incredible. And I met Fiona Shaw and Jodie Comer from I know. I know. From <laughs> From Killing, Killing Eve. International feminism. <laughs> Killing Eve. <gasps> <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. From Killing Eve. And Fiona Shaw was so nice to me and she was saying lovely things to me and she was just like the best audience member I've ever had because she sat right up the front and was laughing and saying to people she's really good in front of my face. (laughs) And I've been a fan of hers ever since Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. She's so good in that. She's good. And then I talked to her and she said she'd improvised a lot of the dialogue. They just let her say whatever. And Tom Selleck was just like, you say whatever, you're so funny. so brilliant. And she said she was doing so many Shakespeare's that year. This is veering off this now into bar talk, But um, (laughs) she said she'd done so many Shakespeare's that year and she was just like in this absolute theatrical headspace. And it was so fun because she just got to go off the leash and say, mighty erection. Um, (laughs) She was absolutely brilliant. And... There were people who we'd had on The Guilty Feminist, like Toby, who does the Black Ticket Project. She won an Inspirational a Woman Award and just absolutely amazing people. Gina Martin, who did the Upskirt campaign. And I was just sort of... I just felt so honoured to be able to host that and be surrounded by feminism. But so much more than that, I cannot stop looking at the photos because the stylist, stylist styled me. <laughs> and I got to wore Manolo Blahnik shoes like I was Carrie Fucking Bradshaw. Oh, my God, they didn't even hurt. They didn't even hurt. And I still can't understand that they didn't hurt. And I got to wear a Hugo Boss dress, which I can't stop looking at the photos because I just look so different in it. I look like a different person. Like it was a Hugo Boss dress, but I look like I could be a model for Next. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I really do look in that realm. I'm not making that up. I could be a size 12 to 14 model for Next, no question. In that dress, 100%. And then I changed into this white suit with the cape. I'm wearing the jacket of it tonight, Good. but it was with trousers. And I can't stop looking at the photos. Some of the photos, to be fair, in the white suit, I do look a bit ITV. I don't even care.
4: <laughs> I'm a feminist, mm. but when I saw a post of myself in a show, I was completely convinced that they had photoshopped my belly to make it into a pot belly. I was convinced... <laughs> I was absolutely convinced So I got in touch with the exec and I was like, um, what the fuck? And then he sent me a picture of the original image. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's my belly. But then I felt bad because I was like, what is wrong with having a pot belly, you stupid idiot? And then I felt bad because I called myself a stupid idiot. No, it's not inclusive language. And that's not inclusive language. Not inclusive language.
0: To be honest with you, I'm a feminist, but one of the pictures I've posted of myself, I also look like I've got a pot belly because just the way I'm standing at the Stylist Remarkable Win Awards, I don't know if I mentioned I hosted that, but... (laughs) I've posted it anyway because Annie Lennox is smiling at me. And it's the only one where she's actually looking at me because she came onto the stage, she did her thing, and then they whisked her off for photos and put her into a limousine. So I never got to have a photo, like, standing next to her, hugging like we're best friends, as was laid out in my rider. Um, And so... I am standing there but I'm standing next to Keeley Halls from The Bodyguard which I'm already excited about but I'm sort of you know when you don't realise you're being photographed and you're a bit slumpy I was a bit slumpy yeah. don't even care Annie Lennox is looking right at me yeah, good. like she can see me with her eyes
4: <laughs> I'm a feminist but I was recently in a restaurant in Lisbon with a really rowdy awful group of men on a really rowdy awful stag do and I thought do you know what that looks like a laugh (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm a feminist but when I come into spaces like we're in now which is the Sam Wanamaker Theatre at Shakespeare's Globe I feel similarly I look back on like the Lord Chamberlain's Men Shakespeare's Company which obviously only allowed men in and men had to play all the female parts because women were not yet a thing. <laughs> I, I look back on that and I feel the way you feel about that stag night. Yeah. I think, ah, oh, I'd love to have been in on that. I'd yeah. love to have been a playwright. I'd love to have been, you know, sort of bursting into spaces yeah. and having all of the, frankly, the massive confidence boost that must have come with being born to do things when other people were being born not to do things it must have been a boost mustn't it to be told as a child you're the one who will go out to do things not you it must have been a massive ego boost and when they all got together and put their tights on There must have been a certain erotic spark in the air. There must have been a thrill, a creative thrill, an Mm. exciting sexual energy. Uh, Because creativity and sex are very, very close. Very very closely linked. I find if you're doing one, you don't need to do the other. (laughs) Uh, If you're doing both, it can be too much. (laughs) So I feel similarly I feel the whole world was that stagnite yeah up until about 100 years ago. Yeah we came along we were like <laughs> and, yeah and I feel now I feel now we the women and some men in this room including non-binary people who have come out to be here tonight we are that doublet and hose wearing stagnite. Yes mate. We take this space for tonight. We own this stage. Mm-hmm. We own all of these wooden bench seats with no backs that are quite <laughs> quite they're authentic. They're authentic. authentic. <laughs> if you're in you get much lower pain. back pain, that is authentic lower back yeah. pain you're experiencing <laughs> right now. If you can't walk at the that is That's uh, how that's, they felt. Yeah, so. vintage. That is vintage pain. cramps. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it. And I'm a feminist, but we are ready to start the show. Woo! <laughs> Live from the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse at Shakespeare's Globe in London, The Spartan Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Susan McComa, and very special guest Adjua Ando, Morgan Lloyd Malcolm, Dr Farah Karim Cooper, talking about The Horror Tricks. The Guilty Feminists, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Susan McComer, and we are talking about the (laughs) Oratrix. Woo! (laughs) So the Oratrix is actually a word that Amelia Bassano or Lanya. She had two names in her life because she was a woman. Um, we're all just expected to leave one name at the door, like a coat, and pick up another one on the way out. I don't know why, but it's just the history of the world. Don't blame me. Blame the men that built this kind of theatre and insisted on us changing our names. And we just think it's normal. It's not normal. Imagine if someone made you change your first name.
4: Oh, do you Cause, cause know what? Because you got a dog. Do you know what? <laughs> Here we go. I'm a feminist, but I wouldn't mind if someone made me change my first name. It's Susan. (laughs) That's bad. So
5: what's wrong with Susan? I think it's a lovely name. No.
4: No, it isn't. All right. What would you prefer? Do you know what? My little sister, she used to have a fake ID. And on it, she put her name as Chardonnay. And I'm not saying that I would want the name Chardonnay, but there was just something Molo. about it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there was just something about the choice. I was like, that's a choice, isn't it? Susan doesn't feel like a choice. It feels like my mum just stumbled on it. But Chardonnay is a choice.
0: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So we are talking about Oratrix, which is the name that Amelia Lania slash Bassano gave herself when she was arguing in court and I think it was a word for a female orator but it feels like oratrix yeah. do you know what I mean? Trix that's what I wish my first name was oratrix yeah. oratrix Francis White oh my god but I wouldn't need the Fran- I'd just drop the Francis I'd just be like oratrix White fuck it I'm dropping the White I'm just oratrix yeah. oratrix I'm like Madonna why not? oratrix I am going to do a stand-up show called oratrix Deborah Francis White oratrix, oratrix yeah. yeah it's good isn't it? that would it?
4: sell out it's already sold out <laughs>
0: You are good at marketing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I need to spend a penny with me, love. (laughs) Ah, She sold it out in the blink of an eye. Now, Susie, I need to tell you this. Sure. So, we are at the Sam Wanamaker Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, right? The reason these microphones aren't amplified is yes. because they're not allowed to be. And also, they don't need to be because look at the acoustics. I know. Just it's bouncing perfect. off the ceiling. And is a it's um, so <laughs> Elizabethan. And there's no lights allowed, no electric lights allowed. So it's candlelights only. And when these candles <laughs> have burnt out, the show is over.
4: OK, I'm a feminist, but I'm so glad that it's candlelit because this is the most flattering lighting. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know what else to say. Uh, thrilled. The reason
0: we're at the Sam Wanamaker Theatre at the Globe, I mean, it's not an accident. We've not accidentally stumbled into this space not knowing what it was, not knowing that we're not allowed to technology. I mean, you should have seen their faces when we brought these mics in. And they said, can't you record the podcast the way they did in Elizabethan times? And I was like, what, like a pigeon takes a scroll to everybody all of the list we've got too many listeners now we've got too many listeners so we've only been allowed these microphones on the condition that they don't work uh chris is out the back with his head in a box and a legal box that's full of technology um, and uh, he's recording it all so you will be able to hear your laugh should you do one but that's the only technology but we're here to talk about two very magnificent shows both highly feminist and both spawned from the loins of the globe. You got really excited yeah. When you said Yeah, spawned that. from the loins of the globe. But not the normal loins of the globe. No. Boy loins. No. <laughs> lady loins. <laughs> That's right. My loins. My loins. My lady, lady loins. <clears throat> <laughs> not many. That's going to come Not, back not many people you, you know think? that that song was originally an Elizabethan song. No. <laughs> that had to be
4: sung via pigeon because you can not have
5: technology. Not yeah, it.
4: I mean, I think there were lutes.
5: There <laughs> there
0: was were stem- lutes. It, was, it was originally a, a lute track. It was yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: featuring um, <laughs> Fergie. <laughs> <laughs> no, featuring Amelia Bassano's husband, Alfonso Lania. <laughs> he was a recorder player. True story. Um, <laughs> True story. And Amelia is one of the characters we're going to be talking about tonight because she herself was massively Elizabethan when she wasn't being Jacobean. That's right. <laughs> she spanned two eras. <laughs> did Shakespeare even make it into Jacobean? He might have. I think he kept just he did tiny. A little bit. Yeah, he just he dragged himself over that yeah, Jacobean went, line. And everyone was like, oh, and was like, oh, oh here he is. Get over it. And, he then he like, just, oh, and then no. he just didn't bother. He just died. <laughs> He didn't. Bother. Do you know Amelia Lanya, She went the whole distance. She outlived him by like twenty-five years. Of course. I mean, she was just better in every way. I think that's what. We've, not to. No, dissing, no but we this can't is Shakespeare. A, no, you here. can't. No. Can't to Shakespeare. God. Shakespeare the cups was have his name on it. So the cups do have his name on it. The shake Look. Look. There you go. Proof. Yeah. That's. Do you think that was actually his? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> will. Just will on the side. No. Shakespeare is also excellent. I know that's probably widely thought, and I'm not the first one to say that. <laughs> but I just want to say, if we do do any mild ribbing of men here at the Globe tonight, it's just a joke, Shakespeare. And <laughs> if you're...
4: Presumably, this is where he haunts that, because it's not yeah, the exact location, is it? It's roughly... I think he's... Yeah, he's, he's around. Uh, r- like, and I think I... he's poking his head through the window, and it's like... Ooh.
0: Do I mean? Can I ask, was yeah. roughly your
4: first Elizabethan pun of the
0: night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> High five. <laughs> roughly. Susan Macoma is now going to give you some thoughts. <laughs>
4: I'm gonna give you some thoughts. You can
5: give, give me a round
0: of applause if you Please, like.
4: round of applause for Susan <laughs> Um, Hi, guys. All right. Uh, Confession. I cannot stand uh, Shakespeare. Um, Can't stand him. Full disclosure, this wasn't always the case. I wasn't always a husk of a human. Um, So... What happened, before I I can give a damn about Shakespeare, I absolutely loved him. And I remember actually applying for National Youth Theatre when I was about 13. And that's a youth company where you go every summer and you do a show and you have a really good time. You had to prepare a classical speech and a modern speech. And I picked Macbeth. I picked Macbeth and I was like, yeah, I can be whoever I want to be. I can play anyone that I want to be. I'm going to do Macbeth. I can do anything that I want. God damn it full disclosure we were studying it at school it was the only speech that i knew (laughs) i was being lazy it worked i got in so it's fine see you later more of the story is that delusion is great anyway so i loved shakespeare and um had a really good time uh, doing that did some shakespeare of national theater we did much ado about nothing which is fine and no, it was great I had an absolute ball in that and then I decided to take it seriously and go to drama school then I was just told I was told lots of things I was told uh, I didn't have the right voice I was told that I couldn't breathe out my back because apparently that's what you're meant to do to (laughs) fully breathe out your back Um, and uh, and I couldn't grow a Chekhov beard to save my life (laughs) Every time someone was doing some sort of classical work, everyone just had a beard. It was really, I was like, oh God, I, oh, that was so quick. That was two days. <laughs> um, couldn't do that. And then I got rumbled actually, in my classical text teacher. Um, what they do is they, all the teachers at the end of the year, they will sit around, probably in a space like this. They sit around and they hold up a picture and they go, this one. And then they all give their thoughts on the actor in the year. They don't do that. Um, they probably do. Um, and, uh, and they will discuss you. And then you have one on one feedback at the end of the year and my classical text teacher came up to me and she said you know what I feel like I failed you because the actor that all the teachers described is not the actor in my class and uh, she asked me why and I said look I... Don't feel very confident. I feel like your classes are for people who can naturally get the rhythms of Shakespeare. Are the people with naturally deep, lovely RP voices and who can all breathe out their back somehow? They got, <laughs> they got that memo. Um, my mum didn't. I was really honest. It was actually quite an upsetting feedback session because I was admitting that I couldn't do this thing. The next year, we then got given the opportunity to do Shakespeare, because that's what you need. Still couldn't grow a beard. And I was given the part of Ophelia, and it's been directed by the same teacher. So she said to me, she took me to one side, and she went, we're going to do a little experiment. I'm going to ease off giving you technical notes, and I want you to approach the text how you would any character. So I was like, fine. (laughs) LAUGHTER What the result was, was the best Ophelia that's ever been given. (laughs) But full disclosure, the best Ophelia that no one will ever see because it was an in-house production that 20 people saw one time (laughs) in 2008. So you're just going to have to take my word for it. But it was a really successful thing. Of course, there was stuff that I needed to learn uh, with diction, you know, so that you can be heard. There's no point me being on this stage and you not being able to hear me. But we both learned something from that, which is, you know, if you're connected to what you're talking about, then... Hopefully people get it right at the back. Then fast forward to just this Monday, a couple days ago, I met a director who'd offered me a Shakespeare part and I went to go meet him and I went, do you know what, I don't know whether I can do this, I'm very scared, I told him all my fears, I told him that I cannot grow a Chekhov beard (laughs) and you can forget me breathing out my back. And he said, well, it's actually really funny. I know someone who was in your year at drama school who told me about the Ophelia that no one will ever see and how brilliant it was. And I have full belief that you can do this. So I will be doing my first Shakespeare part in London this year. Thank you very, very
5: much.
0: first guest today is an actor who is almost never off our television screens now you may know her because she has been a regular in casualty in regular in EastEnders she's been in Doctor Who you can actually hear her on the Guilty Feminist audiobook should you purchase it because she is playing the voice remarkably and miraculously of every single person I interviewed um, I'm reading the book and any time I'm interviewing or talking to anyone else she pops in with this she is a master of different voices she plays Susan McComa in my book and I thought she knew Susan because the voice was so the same and she said yeah I know what Susan sounds like and then tonight I introduced them I was like I'm sure you know her and she was like nope I'm just really good at voices <laughs> but she is here tonight because she has co-directed the Richard II here at the Sam Wanamaker Theatre at Shakespeare's Globe in London and not only has she co-directed it, she is playing Richard II. This, this is, as far as I know, the first Richard II with an all-female cast and an all-BAME cast. I know. The last time I saw Richard II, Kevin Spacey was in the role. It's quite a different production. <laughs> It's the Richard II we need for this urgent time of Brexit on this septidial. It's a remarkable show. Please welcome to the stage and make wonderful, woohooing, groundling, extraordinary, guilty feminist noises. And welcome to the mic. Adjua ando. Yeah.
6: These women you see here, they are the mothers, aunts, grandmothers, loving supporters of all the members of our cast, all the members of our stage management, our fight director, voice coach, designer, lighting designer, because he wanted to have the women on whose shoulders we stand smiling down on us. So if you go to Buckingham Palace, you might see Lord Blah Blah of Ningenar. <laughs> Here you see lovely ladies of Hudaha. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I came to see Michelle Terry at The Globe about something else and the something else didn't work out. She said, have a look at The Richard of the Second. It's a play about England. She said, it'll be on over Brexit. I was like, tasty. <laughs> um, and uh, she said, do you want to direct it? And I was like, yep. Uh, And she said, uh, how do you want to do it? I said, all women of colour. And she went, right. Uh, (laughs) Who's going to play Richard? I went, (laughs) I'm directing it. Hmm, who would be good for that? And they said, uh, Are you mad? And I would, uh, no, I will ask someone to co direct it with me because I've would just been crazy. So I got my friend Lynette Linton, who's directed a play called Sweat that's just transferring to the West End. And uh, she's the new artistic director of The Bush at 29, Woman of Colour. So, uh, so we did it between us. And I'm just going to do a, a little bit from Richard II because it's about tights and it's about (laughs) stag nights. And it's about just that thing of, for me, people said, well, you're all women of color. How are you going to to be men? Are you going to be a lot of manly acting? (laughs) And I just said, no, because Shakespeare writes in a heartbeat. He doesn't care about your melanin or your genitalia. He's writing about your heart, and we've all got that. And it's got nothing to do with your income bracket or your religion. It's an accident of birth, how we turn out. And then all the rest is just the bullshit that's laid on us, right? (laughs) So who are you as a person? And that's always the thing. What's your heart say? All these obstacles that the world puts on us and our value judgments, that's not our business. That's what the world does to us. But how do you respond? What do you sing with? What makes you laugh? Where do you forget yourself because you're so happy with what you're doing? That's the stuff I'm interested in. And, And I actually think that's the stuff Shakespeare's interested in as well. So this is a bit of Richard. For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground And tell sad stories of the death of kings. How some have been deposed. Some slain in war. Some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed. Some poisoned by their wives. Some sleeping killed. Or murdered. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king. Keeps death his court. And there the antic sits. Scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, allowing him a breath, a little scene to monarchise, be feared and kill with looks, infusing him with self and vain conceit, as if this flesh that walls about our life were brass impregnable, and humoured thus comes at the last, and with a little pin bores through his castle walls. And farewell, king. Cover your heads. Mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence. Throw away respect, tradition, form, and ceremonious duty. For you have but mistook me all this while. I live with bread. Like you. Feel want. Taste grief. Need friends. Subjected thus, how can you say to me, I am a king? So I've got, I got a bit dry mouth. I got a bit nervous then. But um, uh, the reason I wanted to do that bit is because I think what happens with Shakespeare is people use him as a tool to beat other people with. Out of, you know, you can't be in the Shakespeare club because it's not for the likes of you, governor. Or, you know, you didn't go to the right school. Or you haven't been correctly educated. And I think that's bullshit. <laughs> I think it's bullshit. And I think he makes no judgments about human beings. He just goes, we're all a bit of a fuck up. You come with your own baggage and you make your own judgment about him. And the thing that drives me bonkers as a human being is being constantly judged for being a woman and being of colour. And I think, you don't know me. I might be a complete bastard. or (laughs) Or I might be really fantastic, but it's got nothing to do with my vagina or my skin. It's got to do with the content of my heart. And so I love that speech because at the end it's like Richard goes... I thought I was born a king because God said you will be the king. No, it's an accident of birth that you happen to come out of that particular woman's body who was married to that particular man and gave you that status. It has nothing to do with your character or your skill set or what you love or what you're good at. It's just an accident of birth. And I would love to live in a world where we could get beyond judging somebody for this, what I call the fleshy overcoat. And we could just live a slower life that means you actually have to get to know someone know if there's someone you resonate with. Maybe you don't resonate with them, but that's cool. There's other people that you'll both resonate with. Because the quality of our heart is what's of interest. And I think if we could find a way to live like that, we would have such a mellow world, a much more peaceful world, a much more loving world, a much more thoughtful and embraced world. So that's kind of why I wanted to do this play. As much as I wanted to go, do you know, women of colour can do all this stuff. It's not hard. It's not hard, Susan, (laughs) Shakespeare. (laughs) Do it in your sleep, mate. And that's why I think things like what you guys are doing here with the the, um, Guilty Feminist podcast is beautiful if it encourages us to be our whole selves, the whole of who we are as a human being, and to fight against anything that restricts us from flourishing because that's what we're here for, or what's the point?
0: everybody
4: people of the Sam Wanamaker theater of the Shakespeare's Globe theater please welcome Deborah Francis White. Yeah.
0: I was chatting to somebody at party, she said she was a playwright, and I said, oh, what are you doing at the moment? She said, oh, I'm writing a play about this Elizabethan poet, no one's ever heard of her, but she's amazing, she was the first published poet, and I went, Amelia Lanier, are you writing about Amelia Lanier, you're writing a play about Amelia Lanier, and she went, yeah, no one's ever heard of her, and I was like, I have, I have, I did a short dissertation about her, an extended essay, I think, let's be very clear. <laughs> But I was obsessed with her at university and then I put her in the Museum of Curiosity on Radio 4 and I wrote about her in my book, which wasn't out at that point, but I was writing about her in the book and I said that to the playwright because obviously I didn't want her to think I'd nicked her idea. Um, (laughs) I just said, I'm just so excited, I cannot wait to see this play. And a little bit of me also thought... Because uh, I'd already pitched like a comedy, like a slightly blackadder comedy radio play version of this or sitcom version of this, really, to a big American company that were wanting sitcoms. So I'd already pitched something. So I thought, oh, it's one of those ones where, you know, I kind of didn't get there in time. But when I saw it, I was so happy I hadn't written it. <laughs> because firstly, that meant I got to see it. Because you can't see things you've written Properly. You can only sit and cringe through them going, it's not exactly as I meant it! <laughs> why was someone rustling this week through that line? That's the best line of the whole play. The nice is ruined for everyone! <laughs> why is someone going to the loo now? Now i not going to the loo, why can't you hold it? Uh, Etc. that's your only experience in watching something you've written. But partly also, because I never would have written anything as wonderful. It's so brilliantly, brilliantly done. But what I was asked, I haven't written a play, and I think we need to put that out there right now, but I was asked to write an entry for the programme. <laughs> I mean, so in a way I have written for Shakespeare's Globe. <laughs> Just to be clear. And that's what I say at parties. What are you writing? Something for Shakespeare's Globe? Oh, when will it be on? No, for the Um, (laughs) programme. So I thought I would read you a truncated version. Amelia Lanyer is my favourite historical guilty feminist and Elizabethan girl crush. She was a poet, a class warrior, and a champion of women. But she knew how to party and she really went the distance. She died neither virtuous nor young. It was said she broke the record for a woman who had given birth by living till 76. Not, she wasn't giving birth at the time, just to be Just if you gave birth, your chances of living a long time went down. Because they hadn't really invented medicine, just leeches. Apparently, her closest rival died at 57. Yeah, that's a big old, you know, I'm sorry for her. I mean, I'm not, she did well, she meddled, she got silver. (laughs) Putting it into perspective, Shakespeare, her contemporary, died at 52. And he hadn't given birth to anybody. (laughs) And that, that wasn't especially young. Some critics say that Amelia Lanyard had an affair with Shakespeare and that she was the dark lady he wrote about in his sonnets. But I don't care if that's true or not. (laughs) Why do women always have to be defined by the most famous man they've slept with? (laughs) I don't want to be defined by John Hamm. Or (laughs) or John Stewart. Or John Oliver. (laughs) Men, I assume I will have an important sexual relationship with before I die. <laughs> I want to talk about Amelia Lanyard on her own merits. Did she know Shakespeare? For sure. The population of London then was around 86. <laughs> and 49 of those people were poets and playwrights.
5: <laughs>
0: because there was more funding for the arts under a bloodthirsty monarchy <laughs> than there is under the current Tory government. get it on probably because things were really boring before the internet so people had to make their own entertainment which usually consisted of word games and sexual intercourse i'm pretty sure both amelia lania and shakespeare shagged loads of people they just didn't go on about it because they both had awesome careers <laughs> She was born and christened in St. Boltoff Bishopsgate in 1569. Now it's near Liverpool Street Station, but then it was where, I quote, foreign musicians and theatre folk lived. Think Stoke Newington. Coffee houses, fingerless mittens and acoustic lutes. Her father, Baptista Bassano, a hot Italian musician, died of being Elizabethan. LAUGHTER when Amelia was seven, and her English mother, Margaret, couldn't afford to keep all her children because she was on only twice the benefits single mothers are on under our Tory government. (laughs) So Amelia was sent into service at a country house called Cookham, owned by Susan Bertie, Countess of Kent. Susan, good name, by the way. Thank you. I'll call her Chardonnay. Chardonnay! (laughs) Was quite bohemian in as much as she thought girls should be schooled and was educating her own daughters. I like to think Amelia was so charming and witty when she brought in the tea and buns. Susan thought she would be a good influence and upgraded Amelia to the position of student and foster daughter. It was certainly there that she learned writing and languages and without that she could never have become a poet. And here's where it all goes a bit Love Island. (laughs) Amelia became a wag to Henry Carey, Lord Hunsdon. Henry's mum was the other Berlin girl and he was said to be Henry VIII's illegitimate son. She was 18, he was 61. (laughs) I'd like to hear what Nanette has got to say about that. He was also Shakespeare's boss. He became the Lord Chamberlain of the Lord Chamberlain's men, Will's Theatre Company. Henry gifted Amelia £40 a year and you could buy a lot of corsets and designer ruffs with that. Roughly. <laughs> These were her Hello magazine years, rubbing shoulders with celebrities such as Queen Elizabeth I, Marlowe, Sir Francis Drake. When she was 23, she got knocked up, which was one of the most ill-mannered things she could do in the court. Henry dropped her like a pregnant brick. He was, he was married at almost 70 after all. Like many women before and after her, she was ousted from all that was glamorous and he carried on like nothing had happened. <laughs> Hashtag Me. What's the Elizabethan version of me too that we can? You went to Rada. You should be ashamed. (laughs) It should be I verily also. point, I like to think she realised how superficial the world of the court was and decided to follow her heart. Now, since then, I've seen the play. I had to write this, obviously, before the play because I had to go in the show notes. But the play doesn't quite tell this same story. <laughs> Enter Alfonso Lagna. He was her age. In fact, he was her cousin. But once removed, <laughs> so relax. <laughs> he was also a rock star of his day. He played the most phallic instrument you can imagine. The recorder. <laughs> Yes, like the one you played at school, but back then that was the equivalent of the electric guitar. <laughs> I imagine, I imagine she was with the groundlings in the mosh pit, laughing with her friends. He doth play such a lusty melody, verily I would blow his recorder. <laughs> Alfonso's biggest gig was when he played at Elizabeth I's funeral a few years later. Think Elton John and Candle in the Wind. <laughs> Seriously, Candle in the Wind. She married him when she was pregnant with another man's child, like many a rock and roll A-lister. And it was then that she started visiting a therapist, and astrologer called Simon Foreman. She wanted to know whether her husband would ever make any money because he was busy spending all of hers. <laughs> Simon Foreman fancied her, of course. He exclusively saw female patients and wrote down in his notebooks whenever he haylicked them. It wasn't Elizabethan slang. It was his own made-up word for shagging. <laughs> when she and I quote from his own diary, when she would not hayleck, he used to say, like, oh, hayleck to Mary, so it's after went home, hayleck to the wife. Genuinely, that's in his diary. When she would not halik, he called her a succubus, which is a nymphomaniac demon, and a lesbian in his notebook. He was a Jacobean troll. <laughs> Plus a fucking change. We know a lot about her because he kept terrific misogynistic records. (laughs) He really did. It's amazing. That's mostly how we know about her. When her husband died of being Jacobean, (laughs) Amelia did lots of things to survive and support her son. She opened a school and ran a hayweighing business. She often sued men over business disputes and always won. She defended herself in court and referred to herself as an oratrix. (laughs) A word I intend to bring back for myself. The most exciting of the jobs she took up in what was very much a gig economy was writing. She was the first English woman to become a professional poet. Other women had written for vanity, but she published for cash. Her most famous poem was so feminist as to be blasphemous. She got away with it by claiming she dreamed the title. The divine dream defense was one used by women through the ages because no one could argue with what God had told you in your sleep.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I am so easy.
0: It's true, it's true. (laughs) I'm using that. But I love the fact that she was only prepared to give Cod credit for the name. Because most women would say, God gave me this poem in a dream, or this, you know, this idea. She was like, no, he gave me the name, I wrote it. (laughs) The rhymes were all hers. It was called Salve Deus Rex Judeorium. and its thesis is wild. Stop blaming women for the fall. Eve was seduced, Adam knew better, and even if women did get us kicked out of the Garden of Eden, you men killed Jesus. (laughs) The introduction to the poem contains this reckless and glorious defence of women. As also in respect it pleased our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, from the time of his conception till the hour of his death, to be begotten of a woman, born of a woman, nourished of a woman, obedient to a woman and that he healed women, pardoned women, comforted women, yea, even when he was in his greatest agony and bloody sweat, going to be crucified, and also in the last hour of his death took care to dispose of a woman. After his resurrection, appeared first to a woman, sent a woman to declare his most glorious resurrection to the rest of his disciples. So lads, if you don't love women, you don't love Jesus. (laughs) when being the wrong religion was one of the leading causes of death (laughs) what a woman I drink to Amelia often when I think of how much she'd enjoy the Me Too movement I verily also (laughs) and how much I'd love to have her as a guest on my podcast I couldn't be more intrigued and excited to spend some time with her as the globe resurrects her spirit and imagines her into being once more she is the answer to the question what would have happened to Shakespeare's sister and Virginia Woolf was wrong She wouldn't have died in the gutter from syphilis. She'd have been a magnificent, successful poet, businesswoman, and personality. We just wouldn't ever learn about her in school. Tonight, we remember her vividly, and the Globe will make sure we never dare forget her again.
1: That's code listen at Bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. Bluenile.com code listen.
0: We now have two more guests who are going to join. One of our guests is the playwright and screenwriter who brought the story of Amelia to the globe, the one I met at the party. And that's not how she defines herself, though. Um, and now that show, which when I saw it, it was like it felt to me like going to Feminist Church. And... I saw it in the Globe in the summer, and I thought, well, it was a good thing the Globe has no roof because it would have come off at the curtain call. Um, and our other guest is the head of higher education and research here at the Globe. She's basically a human search engine. <laughs> so please welcome to the stage playwright Morgan Lloyd Malcolm and Dr. Farah Karim Cooper.
6: <laughs> Hello. Hello.
0: your name incorrectly or just Britishly when I say Farrah Britishly I'm just saying British, everyone yeah. here calls
2: you Farah, right
5: yeah just, or
0: yeah. F-
2: sometimes I get Farah, which is kind of <laughs> a,
5: okay.
0: sounds a bit like then yeah. you're in the Disney Aladdin exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. exactly
0: okay so this is a very exciting time for Shakespeare's Globe I think because there's a lot that is very traditional about the Globe when you come in. The exciting thing about it, and we have a lot of international listeners, so in case you don't know, the exciting thing about the Globe is it is a complete reconstruction of Shakespeare's Globe, brick for brick, measurement for measurement. And then the theatre we're in now is an indoor space because otherwise for half the year there'd be nothing on here because it would be (laughs) too curled, too curled. It's an amazing space, but it would be very, very easy to do very touristy doublet and hose, quite irrelevant Shakespeare plays and of course there's a certain amount of traditional work that goes on here because that is some of the appeal of the globe but if that was all that it was then it would be irrelevant and I think it would only play for tourists and eventually die. It would become the Shakespearean mousetrap basically (laughs) Um, (laughs) and What's exciting is that The Globe isn't doing that. It's presenting relevant contemporary work in the form especially of these two productions, the all-bame, all-female Richard II and also Amelia. has already told us a little bit about Richard II. Could you tell us something about Amelia and how this play came about? What can people expect to see if they go
7: so, Michelle Terry, when she first took on the artistic directorship here, she'd known of Amelia Bassano for quite a while. She'd known of her as the potential Dark Lady of the Sonnets and all that kind of thing. And she knew that she would quite like to have her first season and program the plays where Amelia kind of pops up. There's a lot of Amelia. I think it's actually the most used female name in his plays or something like that. I think we've we worked that one out. But she pops up a lot and she wanted to programme those plays in her first season, but she also wanted to have a new play in the middle of it that she could kind of hang her season around about this woman because she rightly recognised that she hadn't had the light that she needed on her.
0: And there were a lot of insights about, clearly speculation, because we don't know, but it's a brilliantly done in your play that perhaps some of the ideas... I mean, a lot of Shakespeare's plays were set in Italy. Mm. How did he know about Italy? Her family were Italian. Yeah. But also, quite possibly, North African Italians. Yeah. And so she is played by three different black women at different stages of her life. Yeah. And the way that you have speculated about their relationship is very clever, that he got a lot of his ideas, a lot of his understanding about women from her and a lot of understanding about these Italian plots from her. She keeps telling him things and then seeing them in his plays. (laughs) And to be honest, whether or not... All of that is entirely true. Almost certainly he nicked a lot of his ideas from women because his understanding of women, women love playing his parts and he hasn't lasted for nothing. And men nick stuff from women all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So sometimes whether or not something is factual is not relevant. It's true whether it's factual or not. Mm. Yeah, the, the thing is with history. Not in a Fox News way. (laughs)
5: <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean?
0: There's a greater yeah, truth. Sometimes you have to change the facts to give a greater truth to an yeah. audience. Is our play fake news? I don't know. No, no. No, no. It's <laughs> fine to do that if you're fictionalising something. It's not fine to do that if you're a journalist, just to be clear.
7: You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. history has been written by white guys. So essentially, that's the perspective we're getting. And that's a perspective we've had for a long time. And so when myself and Nicole Charles, who directed it, were looking at the research, we looked at it through our own eyes and we filled in gaps and we found the stories that we were interested in about her and we put her ourselves in her place. And we did kind of imagine this woman who, I mean, like you said, there were, you know, 20 people living in London at the time <laughs> and she would have hung out with him. She would have known him. They would have been contemporaries she was clearly writing at that time and like the Amelia speech in Othello is so strongly feminist and clearly in our opinion from a a woman's point of view I just thought well I'm putting that in the play she you know he could very easily have listened to her ranting one day about something that her husband or Lord Carey has done and and he's put that in his play and I don't think that that's too Bigger leap to make because we just don't know about so many women or any other kind of community that has just never been considered important enough to record Mm. I call it a memory play because I feel like we kind of feel it in our bodies Mm. we remember these things and I think we need to start reading between the lines if we're going to learn about these people.
4: What
0: I love about the play is how many good jokes there are in it. Um, it's a combination of sort of the heart of Shakespeare, the wit of Blackadder and the feminism of My Angelou taking you to church. It's really a remarkable experience, but it gets me inside and it lifted me up and it sort of carried me on a wave for some weeks after I'd seen it, which is what great theatre should do. And I feel... Similarly with Richard II, sometimes you go and see Shakespeare and you do fall asleep a bit, don't you? I mean, I studied English at Oxford, and I feel like... I mean, you do, though, a bit. Like I studied English at Oxford, so I feel like I should be really good at Shakespeare, and every time I go and see Shakespeare, I think... Yeah, obviously I like this because I studied English. So yeah, I love this. This is what this. Is, you know what I love Shakespeare, but sometimes you are thinking, oh, I'm just like taking a sneaky look at your phone in your bag to see how much longer you've got to sit through it because it's boring. Um, and but it is though. It is. If it's not done from here, yeah. I'm sorry. Mm. Just because it's old doesn't make it good. It's got to be lifted. Off the page. How do you do that?
6: Actually, well, so, OK, so. Uh, <laughs> I spent about five months cutting the text. That's what I did. Just sitting there cutting the words with, of a white man with leaving scissor, them on the floor. nail scissors. With na- no, 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 no. I spent time cutting the text because I wanted to do a version that doesn't assume that you know anything about the history of what you're watching. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a version that was exciting. Mm-hmm. That, frankly, for this space, didn't run longer in halves. The first half, no more than one hour twenty. Mm-hmm. You want to sit longer on those benches for more than <laughs> an hour and twenty minutes? No you get to the last scene, you're thinking, God, this is marvellous, I'm sure it's marvellous, but basically, my arse is numb and I need a piss. <laughs> you know, it don't matter how great the Shakespeare is by that point. And I feel yeah.
0: Shakespeare himself... Shakespeare, Shakespeare would, have would have been with said me. That. He would he have, me. have said yes. that. Because they would have just been... You
5: know, it would pissing on the side. So we did the groundlings do that? Did now, the groundlings
6: piss on the side? Of course they were. Yeah. Yes. They were doing everything. They were shaggy and they were buying things. They were doing everything. I mean buying that's why things? you had to have so much action to keep their attention on yeah. the stage. So it was sort of like a sort
0: of a live Facebook slash eBay space. Or, yes. Yeah, just come along and be moist. like do you, slash do you want Tinder my space. moist and yes. cash. Yeah. Do you want my chicken? I've got a chicken for sale. Yes. Oh, yeah. so would you like
6: I can roast it in the corner, come Yay. over it. Never mind the Duke of Anjou. Come over here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can't stand the Duke of Angu. No, he gets was, on my nerves. Uh, he blanks Ooh, me. He always pretends he doesn't know who
0: I am. So rude.
6: Um, <laughs> so he does know. He does uh, know. So you, you, have, so, to it. you yeah. have to and you know make it dynamic i think shakespeare's fantastic but you have to not be reverential just to go it's a good banging story let's see what everybody Mm. thinks and what are they doing and who do you love and who do you hate and all that sort of stuff and don't go too fast so people are like i I caught one word in seven Mm. there
0: yeah i feel the same about shakespeare as i do about the opera it's hard for me to understand why it's seen as sort of elitist well if you look at the plot Mm. especially in comic operas and comic Shakespeare, it's like an episode of Two and a Half Men. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like it, honestly, or an episode of Frasier where, oh, I was dressed as a boy, but you didn't know I was dressed as a boy. You yeah. What?
5: Or and then like, people come in and they're like like people it's they've just got like, they're, like a,
4: they're a donkey. It's like, and, and you've got fairies and shit. And then this is when you see people say, mm, the, mm, the, the, that bit, you're like, shut up, there is a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> Someone <laughs> wasn't a donkey and now they're a donkey. Mm. There's a donkey, there's a bear that comes out. It's like, that is hilarious and that is brilliant. But it's when people sort of try and steal the joy out of it, you mm. just think,
0: why? Like, sitting with your arms folded, leaning back and saying, most of my experience with Shakespeare is walking out with middle-class people in the interval saying, I mean, I thought her Ophelia was really quite good. I thought, I mean, do you know, it wasn't... What it wasn't, it wasn't an intellectual Ophelia, but it was a visceral Ophelia. So in what, what, what you're saying that in the most intellectual... There's nothing visceral about you. You haven't been visceral since you were coming out of the birth canal. You, Are you fucking serious? You don't get to judge what's fucking visceral, ma'am. And then apparently I've ruined a night at the RSC again Uh, uh, by saying that loudly. But Farah, you're here at the Globe. You're the higher education and research head. So you're presumably trying to get young people in, new people who wouldn't necessarily feel that they are entitled to come into a space like this. How do you feel about
2: these things? Well, I mean, I think Shakespeare would be really surprised about all the reverence, actually, because that started in the 18th century when Shakespeare became sort of what I call bardified. And he was sort of placed on this pedestal. And we have this image of him in this sort of puffy shirt in some attic with a quill. Mm. But that's not how playwriting worked in the 16th century. It was really collaborative, Mm. people getting their hands dirty. You know, they were working in Southwark, it was a, a, a place of... <laughs> well, darling. <laughs> manufacturing. Darling, they were south of the river.
6: And it was
2: very, very dirty. Yes. And, uh, it, was, it was. It was marshy and dirty and it was... Shaggy. Um,
0: yeah, shaggy. Shaggy, uh, shagging,
5: yeah.
2: And it smelt. And people were not
0: as polite as we Assume that they no, were. but it was they hugely
2: be. creative. It was hugely creative, and people worked together. And uh, as you say, there weren't huge amounts of people living in London, but the population was increasing all the time. And what people don't tell you is that there were more than just white men in London. What? There were what? Yes, what? yes. <laughs> yes. You there lie. were You lie. Oh
0: yes, okay. <laughs> yes. All right. We're going to have to yep. close the
2: show down now because that's <laughs>
0: that's no. So. There was this very creative space, but most of the people who were invited into the creative space, if not all of the people, were white men, yes? Well, we don't know that. I
2: mean, mm-hmm. we know that boys between the ages of 12 and 21 played the parts of women because women weren't allowed to perform on stage, or it wasn't customary, but there was no law actually preventing them. And there's I a lot there of... it was re- James II who said that women could perform because,
0: first of all, he thought it was turning boys gay. Yeah. And... One night, he went to the theatre and there was an unscheduled break and he had to wait because somebody playing, probably Ophelia, suddenly realised he hadn't shaved. Mm. And so they had to stop the play while the leading lady had a quick shave. <laughs> and James II was like, oh, I'm sick of this shit, let women do it. Most of us are shaving. <laughs> you cannot grow a Chekhovian beard.
4: No, I can't get arrested getting that beard.
0: <laughs> wait till yeah. you get to your menopause, you'll grow an <laughs> So, at that time, women were not allowed onto the stage, but you think the they commerci- may have been... Yeah, on the yeah. commercial
2: stage. Oh. And I mean, in Europe, women were acting on the commercial stages. They were performing there. England was this weird anomaly.
0: <laughs> yes. <So>. Really?
5: Yeah.
0: <laughs> England didn't want to do what Europe was doing. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> it's true that women who wanted <laughs> to act used to go to Europe... To act, isn't it? They uh, used to leave and go there.
2: Potentially, yeah. Yeah, someone yeah. was telling
0: me they were writing a piece around this that yeah. women would often leave and just go, fuck this, I'm off to Paris. Yeah. As many of us may be doing
2: quite soon.
5: <laughs> uh, but women also,
2: um, I mean, they performed at court, in mm-hmm. court masks, and there were lots of different kinds of performances. It wasn't just commercial performances in the theatre companies and the guys going out on tour. So women were performing. They were? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's very, very interesting. I have a friend who's, who's writing a book about that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, how do you get people to come into this space who may feel like, I'm not going to understand the language, I'm not going to understand what's going on,
6: this isn't for people like me? I mean... Twitter? Uh,
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
6: <laughs> so, we actively wanted to do that with Richard II, partly because it's a play about England and I have a real thing about People from the Empire built this country as much as anybody who was from here built this country, whether they wanted to come here or not. Uh, So I want to say to all the generations that followed, this is your theatre as well. This is your city. Come and see it. So it means you have to put posters up where brown people live, yeah. uh, uh, you yeah, have to... I'll, I'll take a note. Take a yeah. note. Uh, posters where brown people live. Uh, you, you have to ring-fence ticket prices so people yeah. on lower incomes can come. You have mm-hmm. to actively invite people who mm. don't feel entitled to just come along yeah. to say, no, you, yeah, come mm. as well. No, you come, you come. Because mm. uh, otherwise they'll think, well, pff, nobody asks me, they're not interested in me, can't afford it, they never advertise to me, why should I bother? I can go to the movies, innit? Yeah. So...
0: And it's important we do because Shakespeare at the time and his contemporaries were basically television. They were making television. They were the ones trying to entertain ordinary people yeah. and keep them in for a binge watch. You know, Because like it, it was much longer then. If you were going to bother to come out and there was nothing else entertaining. There was nothing entertaining happening at home. So people came out to hear the story Mm. and to be entertained. So we need to co-create it as that kind of space again. Do you work with Toby at the Black Ticket Project? She.
6: Okay, so I'll put you... No, we were in touch with Toby. Oh, oh, great.
0: Absolutely. Oh, oh, great. She gets free tickets to young black people and says this is a free ticket, come with me to this place and brings people into the building who just feel
4: unentitled to the do you space. Know, do you know what is so interesting about what Toby's doing is that I thought about when I first started going to the theatre because I'm from South East London, we came here on school trips. But the thing that was available to me was a company called C145, which doesn't exist anymore, where you could see a show for five quid. And that was the way that I first went to the West End and saw like a big, massive musical. I think I saw the producers or something like that. There's so many initiatives that actually did exist that don't anymore. I remember the access that I, once I realized where these places were, the access that I got. And so what Toby's doing is absolutely tremendous because actually those government initiatives don't exist anymore. uh,
2: One of the things our department
4: does is put on a large production of a Shakespeare play like Romeo
2: and Juliet right now and it's free for students 14 year olds to 16 year olds and uh, families as well come along so it's on right now I mean that's about access and getting people in the door and so if you're listening to this take
0: note that these things are available what are the lowest price tickets if you're just calling in as a punter and you're not doing a scheme for Richard II do you know somebody's waving their hands at me what
5: Ten. Ten. ten, ten, ten quid. So you
0: can get it, and this theatre is very intimate, so wherever you're sitting, you will be, you will We're looking feel at calm. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And you'll be able to see you wherever you're sitting yeah. here, and you can get a ticket for a tenner. And if you can come down to London, I mean, there's brilliant theatres all over this country doing this kind of work, but if you can come down to London for a couple of days, you could actually see Amelia, that has now gone into the West End, and Richard II. So it would be kind of worth coming. And Uh, Romeo and Juliet. And Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. So you could do it three for. If you're a parent with a baby, And you're desperate to see Amelia, but you don't have anyone to mind that baby right now. Morgan has made sure that you can come on the 24th of April. There is a matinee that is specifically one where you can bring babies. So check out their website and find out more details. On the 29th of March, I'm going to be part of Criminal Improv. It's a just really fun night murder mystery at King's Place. And I'll be performing there as a guest And I really wanted to tell you that our lineups for the tour are ready. If you go to our website, if you go to our Twitter page, there's a pinned tweet. If you go to our Guilty Feminist page, you'll be able to see who is coming on the live tour when we're coming around the country, which comedians and singers are coming to your town. It's so exciting. And if there's a particular comedian you're desperate to see, there might be a town you can travel to and see them. So go and check out our lineups. And finally, help refugees are really, really in need of volunteers. If there's anybody who's thinking, oh, I might be able to volunteer, I might be able to go out and work in the kitchen or uh, help with donations, distribute uh, sleeping bags and tents or work on the info bus and connect people with internet and legal information or go and teach on the school bus, anything like that that you can do, Help Refugees really, really, really need your help right now. So please go to helprefugees.org and see if there's anything you can do short or longer term. Thank you so much. Do you think there were more women who were like Amelia that we don't know about? Do we happen to know a lot about Amelia? I absolutely believe
7: that that is true and i think that amelia one of the reasons why i think she was amazing and really clever was she recognized that if she got herself published she would be
0: remembered she'd stick around but i'd be disappointed wouldn't she She... thank god you're bringing her back yeah yeah yeah. because i've been banging on about her to anyone who will listen for years and no one's shown an interest and you've brought her back in such a remarkable way but you actually show in the play without any giving away any spoilers, you show the wonderful collaborative nature of women and Mm. the way that Mm. Amelia connected with other women
7: the thing is we know that she set up a school for diverse mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. and she got it shut down actually because she wouldn't pay her rent um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> to be because, fair no come on the because, landlord yeah. wouldn't fix that yeah, i don't know too much about this one yeah she <laughs> but the landlord I, I must speak on her behalf and say that the, the roof was leaking he yeah. wouldn't fix it yeah. so she said i'm gonna a stop stand. so she, yeah so she said well and i'll fix it and pay for it I'm taking it out of the rent yeah. and then he took it to court yeah. anyway it got shut down she never ever lost though in a no, court of she law didn't. and she represented herself
7: which is she's just incredible
0: Oratrix. the Oratrix <laughs> but yeah I think because she knew that in
7: order to be because nothing was kept it was you know there was lots of paperwork going around all the yeah. way you know lots of messages and things being written and pamphlets and all these kinds of things but they would never be kept they'd line your drawers or you'd wipe your bum with them or whatever so she knew that she had to publish herself if she was going to stick around I am absolutely convinced there are hundreds if not thousands of women out there who never got to publish and also all the other poems that she wrote or plays or mm. novel what else did she write that she never published and one of the questions I've had is always oh, is she as good as Shakespeare and the answer is well I believe she is, but we will never know because actually the work that she made was not kept. And what else did she write that was as stunningly beautiful and probably even better than Shakespeare?
0: We will never know. And how many other women out there? are we missing? And is it historically accurate what you depict in your play about the (laughs) and maybe I should ask Farah as well because you're meant to know that Farah, aren't you? Uh, (laughs) When she's working with other women and they're kind of coming together as a collective, is that something you know or something you surmise? So what we depict in the play is a
7: thing called a scriptorium which is these places where you would go to get your things written. There would be men sitting there writing things, letters and contracts and all these different things for you. And we went to the researchers and said, do you think it's possible Amelia could have made one of these scriptoriums and with the women that she's taught set one up with women and they said there's absolutely zero (laughs) evidence for it but why not (laughs) and we went with it. There's no evidence that she didn't. Yeah. yeah, there's no evidence that she didn't. And the thing is, she was. it was a time when there was a lot of stuff going on with unions, with women trying to get chartered, women trying to be recognised for their skills, their work. You know, they were skills, craftspeople. They weren't being able to be chartered. And there were riots going on in parliaments. They were fighting, you know, all these different things that were happening that we we haven't got a huge amount of knowledge about but she because she was educated she was living in those areas and educated at the right by time, women educated by women and she was feisty we know that because she was representing herself in court i kind of feel like she would have been involved in all that kind of stuff and she would have been doing and that's what i mean about reading between the lines we have got to look at the facts that we got and go hey she was great she knew what she was doing and she lived to 76 and did all of that she was great <laughs>
0: If you go and see this play, and I really hope you do, and I hope it tours, and I hope it tours internationally, I hope there are other productions of it around the world. It is a remarkable piece. Expect something of a rock concert uh, in its field. Don't think, oh, I'm going to the theatre, I have to sit primly. I saw it on the press night when it was at the Globe. It's now in the West End. But there was so much kind of cheering throughout Mm -hmm. and almost like... Like church. The only way I can describe it is like, you know, when you if you've ever been to or seen depicted a Southern Baptist church in America where people shout out things like preach um, just spontaneously. It was a bit like that. I was surrounded by amazing black women who were just shouting, I hear that sister. And I was like, I've never been to the theater and felt and that felt entirely right. It felt just normal. It didn't feel like, oh, the theatre. Why am speaking? Um, it felt completely like... And the audience were just going into cheers. And at the end, it was like I cried because everyone stood up. Like, just everyone stood up. And they were just shouting and screaming and cheering. And, and it didn't feel like the theatre. It felt like a rock concert. But that's when you're telling a joyful... And it's a story of joy and triumph and also sorrow and... Uh, marginalization, as all stories of women are. But it felt like I was taken somewhere. And it felt like I was also sort of crying for myself as well and the other women that I know and love in a sort of magnetic chain to Amelia. And it was actually when she had sees her book published for the first time. And it was the same week that I just got my book published for the first time and I'd held it in my hand. And I just, I felt so connected to her and she appears in my book as well. So if you go... Please go expecting an experience and not a trip to the theatre. And I would say the same about Richard II. Come to be part of the space. Come make noise. We like noise. Yeah.
6: yeah. Is there anything else you would like
0: to tell us, Adjo, about Richard II? Is there anything we should know?
6: We're on stage on the night we're supposed to Brexit. I can't imagine what that's mm. going to be. I mean, I mean, I will be stabbing myself in both eyes, obviously. <laughs> Um, throughout the performance. Oh, so it'll gosh. be worth seeing for that. But, um, <laughs> ah, yeah, um, the actress who plays the queen, Leila Fazad. So, you know, we've got actors from Pakistan, from India. The designer is Iraqi-Iranian. One of the actors is Iranian. We've got Africans and we've got West Indians and, you, you know, Chinese and Filipino. And we've got... People from everywhere, and you just want to go. Everybody comes on the stage and they just share the story with you, and it's a conversation. And there is something about that magical thing that happens, it's why you cried. There's something chemical that happens if it's done well between the audience and the people on stage, and you all go on that journey together. And we can't do it on stage without you. And you can't watch the story without us. And we need each other. And for me, there is something about that's how we should be living our lives. And, you know, we've had people saying, well, your queen's remarkably feisty. I mean, the, the women in these plays are usually very... You think, that's because... We're telling the story! <laughs>
0: Things change when women are, get to be the architects. Often we're brought in for diversity, especially women of colour are brought in for diversity. And it's sort of one sitting on the end, being visible. Mm-hmm. But that's not the same as being the architect. And that's where we will see real change. When we collectively get to create and collaborate, get to change things together. Wherever your power lies, as Rennie Edo lodge says, wherever your power lies... Invite people in not just to share your space and sit in on your space and include them on your terms, but invite them to be architects. Amen. Church. (laughs) Farah. Is there anything else you'd like us to know as a higher education and research expert here? What would you like us to know? I guess, what do you want us to take away? Yeah,
2: what I want you to take away is the story of London and England and Europe that's been told for the last 400, 500 years. is kind of a lie because, um, you know, there's been a hu- Well, just in that, there's been a huge... There's a huge amount of research being done now about the presence of people of colour... And women of color in and around the city, skilled workers, as well as people who were, as, as one of the books says, illicitly brought into the country. People of color arrived with Catherine of Aragon because of her Spain connection. And that has been erased from history. And so when you have people of color on stage performing Shakespeare, that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Also, there's a possibility that Amelia was Jewish as well, or yes. had some North African family, some Jewish family, yeah. and so we want to celebrate that yeah. as well at a particularly difficult time for both Jewish people in this country and for yeah. Black people in this country. And it- our fight
6: director is Israeli. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Boom.
0: <laughs> of course she is. Of course she is. Of course um, she is. And the candle maker uh, uh, is telling us now we've got to end this show. Um, <laughs> could you please just tell us exactly where and when we can see your show? You can see Amelia at the Vaudeville Theatre on the Strand. And I just want
7: to say it's an all-female cast, but it's also all-female creative team and backstage team. And that's really, mm. really great. Yes. <laughs>
6: Where can we see Richard II? You can see Richard II in this very room. Um, So that's... uh, someone want to make a playhouse. We're on in rep with Edward II. We're on till Easter Sunday, the 21st of April. Please come and see it. And similarly, women of colour backstage, on stage, playing the music, everything, looking, peering down at you from the grannies. Um, Yes, please, please come along.
0: And just can you point to your grandma...
6: Please, Adra. Mama! Mama! Mama!
2: She is very beautiful. Farah, have you got anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, we're having a Women and Power Festival what? Uh, it's beginning May thirteenth to the eighteenth of May. So please come along for we've got wonderful events and uh, panels and discussions to be amazing to 18th, and performances. 18th, right, thirteenth to the eighteenth, right here. Many of the events are taking place in the San Juan Playhouse. Wow, and Susan McComa, anything to plug? I'm in a show that starts tomorrow called Porter's,
0: 14th of March. So that's on TV. Can I just say thank you so much to the Globe and to the Sam Wanamaker Theatre for having us. Yeah. Thank you to the counter lighter. Thank you to Chris, who's done a very difficult job tonight and always does a brilliant job sound engineering. Yeah. Can I have an absolutely huge round of applause for the wonderful Dr. Farah Kareem Cooper? Yeah. The Dr. Frankenstein, if you will, who breathed life back into my Elizabethan girl crush Amelia Lanya. Morgan Lloyd, Malcolm) Magnificent master of theatre and creator of worlds. Adua Ando. And she's been too busy being busy successful recently, so she hasn't done many guilty feminists, but one of my favourite ever co-pilots, Susan Rakoma. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist, the main white guest co-host of Toma and our very special guests, Ajua Ando, Morgan Lloyd Malcolm, Dr. Farah, Kareem Cooper. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp, music was by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Salinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Matilda, Claire, and everyone at The Globe, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit
1: guiltyfeminist.com.
5: I can make it work. We can make I've already
0: thought of another one. Have you? Yeah, I've thought of another one right now, but I'd better write it down because otherwise, <laughs> genuinely, I will forget it. I'll go, what was that thing I was go thinking on. of? Hold on, I've got face ID now. Hold on. Oh. That's not... I'm sure face ID's not allowed at the Globe. You, <laughs> I, we're, there, we're not allowed... Lo- You're As all if we're allowed face ID. Oh, where's my... Where's my thing? Write it down.
3: Yeah. Planning for your next trip?